Welcome to the Imperial Hearts Podcast. I'm Jamie, the Rebel Player. And I'm Dana, the Imperial Player. And this week we're going to be focusing on our playthrough of Twin Shadows, the expansion for Imperial Assault. Season 2, Episode 1. Happened a couple days ago. Yeah. Is that what we're calling it? Season 2? I guess it's kind of like the Season 2. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, first, did you want to talk, you wanted to talk about some Star Wars news. Yeah, we're going to do like, we're going to be a real podcast and have like a new segment at the beginning. Okay. Okay, so the big thing I wanted to talk about was the the Bloodlines thing. The Ky- oh, Kylo oh. Ren not knowing that his that his grandfather is Darth Vader until... That's the rumor that's going around. Uh, is it a rumor? I thought it was actually well confirmed. I think it, yeah. I saw in a review of Bloodline, which at the recording of this podcast comes out tomorrow. Um, oh, I, wow. I guess uh, an early copy uh, had gotten a review and somebody had commented that um, it turns out that, yeah, Kylo Ren, who is at the time of the novel, still Ben Organa Solo, um, did not yet know that his grandfather was Darth Vader. And it's set six years before The Force Awakens and apparently he's still training with Luke at like 23 years old. So I have a lot of... I. I, it's so hard to imagine. Yeah, so even if that's true, I'm hoping that there's going to be some additional context to that because I don't know how I feel about that, if that does turn out to be the case, straight up. Yeah, I don't know. It's. Um, I also just wanted to mention that I noticed on our last podcast you can hear the streetcar. Yeah, yeah. That's because we're downtown Toronto and there's streetcars, so you can just enjoy the ambiance. Yeah, the windows are closed, but it's loud, so you can hear the streetcars. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's just really hard to imagine that... Yeah, A, that Luke, Han, and and Leia would have not been able to talk to him about it in that time, because you'd think that, okay, you're going to go off to be a Jedi now. Maybe that's relevant information. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it probably is. But I guess, I feel like it's one of those things, like, that happens in a Disney movie where they, like, they ignore this. It's like Frozen is like that, too. Mm -hmm. You know, where, um, like, you know, why don't you just tell your kid that they have magic? It's like this really obvious thing you could do, but you just never do it. And that's what forms the basis of the plot. I'm hoping that's not what Bloodlines is about. I think it's mostly about Leia. I think the stuff with Ben is is okay. all, sort of offhanded. I just hate it when a story has that big conceit and yeah. like you know it's a conceit and they base a lot of the plot off of it. Yeah, and I I also feel like um, I mean obviously Claudia Gray relies on the information that she's given by Lucasfilm. You know she's not yeah, creating, exactly. creating the stuff out of whole cloth. Um, and the book was obviously mostly written by the time The Force Awakens came out, but. There are, oh, that's weird to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there are obviously sort of some inconsistencies already. If he's 23 and still training with Luke, yeah. but Han in the movie refers to the destruction of Luke's Jedi Academy as like one boy turned against him. You're like, 23 is a little old to be referring to him as a boy who turns against you. So is that retcon already? Like, are, are we already getting altering of the timelines versus what was in the movie. It seems a little too soon to be altering your timelines like that. Yeah. The canon is only a couple years old, guys. Like, I don't know. I, it's, I, yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's like, how old is he in the movie? I'm like 29. He doesn't seem like he's 29. So if they're still calling him a boy at 23, I think that's for a good reason. True, but also I... I think the impression that we're given in the movie and sort of the visual dictionary and the surrounding information is that he was, he left Luke's Jedi Academy and joined Snoke at a relatively young age, like as a teenager. And then you're thinking, okay, the extrapolation of him being sort of an emotionally immature (laughs) man-child makes more sense because he hasn't had the ability to sort of grow up emotionally. He's been... Right, yeah. You know, like, Snoke is not going to be monitoring his emotional health. So for him to be 23 and still studying with Luke is like, well, that person should be mostly an adult by then. So how is he so damaged six years later if he's had 23 years worth of sort of support 
from a good family. I don't know. Have you met 23-year-old boys? But, like, like that? Like, come on. <laughs> I think most 23-year-olds, I would call them boys still. Yeah, but all the main characters in the first, in, in A New Hope, are, like, 19. Have you heard, actually, there's a really interesting justification for why they look a lot older? Obviously, it's because the actors are older. Right. Um, but they have this, because, like, okay, so they, it's a justification for why Obi-Wan looks so old. Okay. And why Luke looks older. And I guess Aunt, Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen. Yeah, why they look okay. so aged is apparently because Tatooine's sun, exposure to Tatooine's sun makes your skin more um, aged. That's fair. That makes sense. Two yeah. Sons. Two suns. Twice the sun, twice Twi the aging. Yeah, exactly. So, makes like, sense. they're not actually aged. It's just, like, their skin looks older. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I learned that. That makes sense. Star Wars internet. I'll buy that. Yeah, because if you look at how old Obi-Wan was in yeah. um, Revenge of the Sith, and then it's like 20 years later, he looks yeah. he looks like he's 70, Yeah, which like he should only be like 50 or 60. That's true. So anyway. Yeah, anyway, I, I didn't mean to sort of go off on a rant there, but I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about this book. I'm really excited for it, but I just... You're worried? I am worried. I'm concerned. Concerned. Yeah. You're right to be concerned. So I will uh, be getting my copy on Thursday, I think. So I'm going to start reading it right away. By the time you guys hear this podcast, I will have it and probably be reading it already and probably having feelings about it on Twitter. If there's any news that happens on May the 4th, we're not... Because this podcast... Yeah, is, I, I wanted to talk about that too. Because we're recording this on Monday, so... Monday, May 2nd. So we don't know if anything crazy happens on May the 4th. We don't know about it yet. We might have to add a, a segment to the end of the podcast. If it's something crazy, I guess, yeah. Um, I, for one, am mostly looking forward to... There might be some sales. I pick myself up a cute dress. I really want... Right. Um, the Her Universe... Darth Vader cherry blossom dress for this summer and uh, I'm hoping that one of the online retailers will have an awesome sale on Star Wars stuff and I can buy some cute dresses. I'm sure there's gonna be lots of sales. And an R2-D2 teapot because I want that too. <laughs> okay um so the only other news that um there's a few things that happened this week. Mads Mikkelsen said that he's <gasps> yes he did. He's a star dad. Yes uh, this is a spoiler for Rogue One. It's not really a spoiler. Well, it's polite to give a spoiler alert warning. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. Matt. I just, I already said what it was, though. It was, it was ob oblique. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen said in okay. an interview that his character in Rogue One is Jyn Erso's father, which I am pumped about. Yeah, I want him to be my dad. <laughs> We had... Uh, Hannibal Dad. Yeah. I think we talked about that rumor in the first episode of the podcast. It'll be really interesting, because it's really hard to picture him as being someone's dad. He's definitely old enough. To, well, he's almost old. She's No, like I just mean, like, how is he in interact with a child? Oh, maybe they don't interact at all for most of the movie. I'm curious to see how that goes. Yeah. Or, like, why they chose him specifically for that role. Yeah. Because in, in the trailer, Mon Mothma says that she's been alone since she was 15. So, like, where where does he come in? What happened to him? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So she's been on her own. She hasn't had a family since she was um, a teenager. So who is he? And why uh, are they not together right now? So. Well, it says, he says he plays her dad at the time of Felicity. I don't know what Felicity is. Maybe it's a battle or something. Oh, Felicity is the actress who plays Jin. Oh, okay, right. So he plays he plays her dad as an adult, and he says he also plays her dad when she's younger, and they jump back and forth in time. What? I didn't hear that. Oh my god. Well, not yeah. So they're gonna have flashbacks to when she's a kid. I'm so pumped for this movie, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I don't think I can get any more hype for this movie. And he's also revealed that there are certain there's going to be certain characters from the um, original trilogy who will make appearances. Okay, let's call some right now. Who are you calling? Predictions. Yeah, predictions. I think the easiest one to do. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I really want to make a prediction, but I think having shots of R two and three PO would be easy because those actors don't age. Right. They're just robots. Um, Vader. I think they'll have a shot of Vader. 
I don't know if Vader will talk or anything. I'm hoping they have the Emperor. That would be cool. Because I really think um, that would be interesting. Because they had that shot of him from the back, or that person, that Sith from the back, who yeah. seems to be probably the Emperor. But he's kneeling. That, that figure's kneeling. Okay, so there's a theory about this. Do you know about the back-to-tank theory? Yeah, I don't, I don't know about the back-to-tank theory. I don't know. I well, okay, so it. so here's the thing, though. Like, all right, guys. So, in the Rogue One trailer, there's that shot. There's a shot of a back to tank, or what we assume is a back to tank. Or it's like there's some. You get the impression there's someone in that tank. Yeah. And there's a Sith Lord who's kneeling in front of that tank, right? Yeah. Okay. So there's also royal guards guarding that tank. Yes. Which means that that like. The, the royal guards follow the emperor's wishes. So either it's the emperor in the tank, or it's someone the emperor is... is or that's the emperor kneeling. Yeah, that's true. I don't... I can't imagine it being anyone else. Vader doesn't... We're in a, we never see Vader wearing, like, a cloak. Yeah, he... Vader mm-hmm. never wears a cloak. It's he not wears Vader. A hood. He doesn't wear a hood. So it's either, like, an inquisitor or something. It might... It, it's either, like, another... Yeah. But, like, who else would be in the back to tank except for Snoke? no I just I just they're so good at that kind of misdirection that I don't want to read too much into that one I think I think they will find some way to use okay so this was this was a part of I mean this is based on a video I saw on YouTube I think we can link it in the show notes we can link it in the show notes um but the the theory relies on this idea that Disney's managing Star Wars now and Disney manages the Avengers movies so they're going to try, like, the theory is, is that they're going to try to build a cinematic universe kind of like the MCU. That, that, that's a good theory. I think that makes sense. Right? So they're going to try to tie these films together. Yeah. Throughout time. So, like, having something like um, Snoke in this movie. Yeah, some sort of tie to The Force Awakens. It seems crazy, but they're probably going to try the, they're going to try to tie the, the Force Awakens to this movie. Yeah. I, th- I think that's what's going to happen. Like, they're going to have an MC... Like, they'll have the mainline movies, and then the other ones will all sort of tie and foreshadow um, the other ones, kind of kind of like the MCU does. Yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah. And it's like, we know um, that... Uh, um, let's say it was somebody that the Emperor was kneeling to. Let's say, you know, that's that turns out to be the case. So... Um, we are also kind of fans of the theory that the Emperor, which I don't think was, it's not canon, but it's a cool theory, the theory that the Emperor had, like, a greater agenda other than just wanting to rule the galaxy. Yeah, that is a cool theory. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's this sort of idea floating around that the Emperor was actually trying to protect the galaxy from an even greater threat, uh, and he was sort of playing a long game. Um, right. And if he was kneeling to somebody else, like Snoke or somebody, or Plagueis, or Plagueis, we're sort of ass- that. I mean, that theory is kind of assuming that Plagueis is Snoke. Yeah, and and Pablo Hidalgo said on Twitter like this week that like, look, Plagueis is dead. His apprentice killed him. End of story. So bullshit. I- <laughs> no, okay, no, that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because I mean, when you watch Revenge of the Sith, yeah. And they have that scene about Plagueis. Yeah. How, like, it's really hard for me to imagine that they weren't planning on... On doing anything with Plagueis? Yeah, like, you wouldn't... It's like a Chekhov's Plagueis. <laughs> you don't... Sh- you yeah, no, it's... Yeah, I agree. I also... In, I, yeah, in that yeah. scene, like, if you weren't trying to introduce Darth Plagueis into the mythos somehow, mm-hmm. then why would have... Why would Palpatine not just say hey, you know, sometimes Sith have learned a way to do this. Right, it's true. I definitely have... And specifically that he found a way to cheat death. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, but like... Well, and you you know that I'm a big proponent of the, like, um, Snoke's theme from the Force Awakens soundtrack and um, Palpatine's theme during the scene where he's talking about Plagueis. Like, Plagueis' it's theme... basically the same music. ...is... Is very similar music and yeah, uh, Plagueis. So what what Jamie's trying to say, I don't know if that's clear, is like Plagueis is the music in the opera scene when they talk about Plagueis is virtually the same as Snoke's theme. 
It's very similar. So we can link to that too. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure there's that. There's like an analysis video on that. So yeah, I I, I don't know if we're ever going to talk about Twin Shadows. We will. I yeah, definitely. Um, Chekhov's Plagueis is a thing. I was sort of gunning for Snoke to be Plagueis, but I want to keep an open mind in case he's not, and I don't want to be disappointed by anything in Episode Eight. And well, even if Snoke isn't Plagueis, maybe Plagueis is pulling the strings on Snoke. Yeah. Right. Like. I just like a lot of it. I don't really understand, personally, the um, draw for Snoke to be no one. A lot of people want Snoke to be no one. They want him to be Snoke. You know, he's not related to anything, and I don't... That seems weird. I like that everything is connected, and and some complaints are that it makes the Star Wars universe feel small, but I enjoy the sort of interconnectedness of all the generations of sort of Force users and... Um, all of our main characters have all been sort of related to each other in some way, and the actions that they take have been yeah. echoing in the generations, and I do like that. And so. Sith don't just come from nowhere. Yeah. Like, even if Snoke is quote-unquote no one, mm-hmm. he still has to have an origin story. Yeah, where has he been for this whole time? Like he's, Exactly. He's not a young guy. It's only been 30 years since... He kind of looks like a guy that was really severely damaged and had to be kept in a back to tank for... Yeah. 50 years. Yeah, so who knows? I don't know. It's true. I think it's a cool theory. Um, and it's interesting because I didn't even really look at that. I, I barely noticed that scene in the in the, the trailer. Yeah, I'm excited to see. Um, I did see a uh, an article this week uh, that got retweeted on Twitter for... Um, it was Force Awakens quote-unquote spoilers from about this time last year. And okay. it, it was like somebody who had posted... Whoa, here's what we just found out from our sister magazine, Entertainment, you know, news or whatever. And uh, they had, here's our exclusive of all the characters, and this is the story that's going to happen. And literally, none of it was true. Like, sure. they had yeah, a really yeah. funny, like, it, would, it was like, spoiler alert, this is what's going to happen in the story. And none of, the, none of the theories were correct. So, definitely, we could all be totally way off the mark when Episode Eight comes out, and when Rogue One comes out. So, obviously, we're taking what we're saying with a grain of salt, but it's fun to theorize about. What else are we going to talk about? Exactly. We're not going to speculate on the next movie, exactly. then. Exactly. What's the point? We've got two friggin' years to... Uh, speculate. Yeah, we're going to do it. Um, I think that's pretty much it in terms of Star Do you have any Star Wars news to talk about? No, that was pretty much it. I just wanted to throw a shout-out to... Uh, Star Wars Day on Wednesday, May the 4th. Right. Yeah, May the 4th. I hope everyone had a good one, and I hope there's some cool news. Are you going to do anything for May the 4th? Um, Justin is coming over, and I don't know. Maybe we'll watch a Star Wars movie. I'm, I don't think I'm doing anything. Um, Alright, so you want to get right to it, I guess. We can talk about Twin Shadows. Okay. Alright, so we started... We started playing Twin Shadows this week. We did our first session of uh, the expansion for Imperial Assault, the first small back box expansion, which is um, Tatooine-themed. Um, as you do. As you, yeah, I mean, Tatooine, everyone. Yeah. It's always Tatooine. Um, and uh, so it's a smaller box. It comes with two new heroes. Um... Two new two new units for the Imperials comes with Tusken Raiders and heavy heavy stormtroopers, which I don't know why they don't call them sand troopers because they're literally sand troopers from the movies. Oh, they're not called sand troopers. No, they're not. Well, in the game, in 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 the lore, they're called sand troopers, and they have specific gear like those backpacks on their back are for cooling. Ugh. Um, but in the game, they're called heavy stormtroopers, which I think is maybe to make them more versatile for other environments. Right, they didn't want you to feel like you could only deploy them in on Tatooine. Yeah, right. exactly. That makes sense. Um, and then it also includes six missions, um, and you can use these units and these missions in your main campaign, or you can run them as their own separate campaign. So we kind of did both. Um, because in our, in our first campaign, we, we bought both boxes at the same time and we used some of the heroes from the expansion in our main game. Um, and we ran some of the missions in our main game because there's certain missions which are tied to those characters. Um, so I would recommend, um, 
if it was like I, I would give this product a good review um, and I would say if you have the money I would buy both the expansion and the base box at the same time so you can have those eight heroes right from the right from the yeah, the, yeah. Both, both Saska and Biv who were the two heroes from Twin Shadows are great characters and we played them both in the first campaign yeah they're, they're great fun so I think if you if you yeah you can use them in the main box and you're also having the um, having the heavy stormtroopers is a nice uh, for the imperial player. It's a nice way to break up just always having stormtroopers. Um, uh, so we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about four missions from the base box. Um, two of them we played in our main campaign, and two of them we played uh, a few days ago. Um, so we're going to be spoiling any any story content that happens in these missions. So if you're going to if you're planning on playing through Twin Shadows as a player, you should probably stop listening right now. Um, I mean, there's not that much story that happens, but there are a few reveals that um, I would probably say players shouldn't listen to. Yeah, you can go back and listen to episode three, which is our full spoiler-free Imperial Assault review. Yeah. Um, and these sort of week-by-week -week reviews are going to be more in-depth and more about uh, what we did in our campaign and how we changed what came, uh, came with the base box and stuff. So we will have spoiler alerts. Yeah, these are going to be spoiler-filled. I mean, if you, if you don't think you're going to play Imperial Assault and you just want to hear us talk about it, you can listen to it. But um, All right, so the missions that we're going to be talking about are... Um, the first mission called Hunted Down, um, Past Life Enemies and Shady Dealings, which are the two character um, tied missions. And we're also going to be talking about Open to Interpretation, which is a mission that comes with the R2 and C-3PO figure box, which we also bought. And that's that's the one we did, right? Um, that's the one we did, okay. yeah. So... Um, so there are, in addition to expansions, there are also these things called figure boxes, which come with usually like between one to three figures and um, an, a new mission that you can add into your game. Um, and so we don't, we have a few of those and one of the missions we used in, in place of one of the main missions. We'll talk about that and why we did that. And we're also going to be talking, a lot of what we're going to be talking about, I think, is uh, our house rules and like ways that we change things to make it into kind of a light role-playing experience, adding little segments between the missions where the players role-play. You did change a lot, or it feels like you added a lot of uh, custom rules. That were yeah, about. yeah. So it would be cool to, uh, we're going to share that with you guys. It actually wasn't as, it, it wasn't that much. I didn't take, I didn't really take away anything. I just added a bunch of stuff. Um, so based on what we did in our first campaign, we realized that people wanted to do more role-playing, but in certain situations it was hard to role-play because all we had was rules for combat. Um, so, uh, what we did was we decided that between each mission there's going to be like a little role-playing segment, um, where the players are able to kind of explore the world and uh, make choices between missions that advance the story. Um, and so the system we used, we kind of just took another role-playing system and used some of the rules from that. And um, the game that we used is called The Sprawl by Hamish Cameron. And you did talk a little bit about The Sprawl uh, last week. I think we so, yeah. we Cyberpunk. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit last week. So um, I'm going to be glazing over a few of the... I'm not going to go in depth about the rules, um, but if you're really interested in the game, you can buy it online. If you look up The Sprawl by Hamish Cameron. Um, it was mostly written by one guy, so you definitely want to... If you are interested, definitely support him. Yeah, it's a cool system. Um, it's based on the Apocalypse World system, so it's it's uh, it's very similar to Apocalypse World and Dungeon World if you've played that. Um, so uh, basically what we did was before we started, um, each of the players was allowed to choose um, like six stats. So they, their players, in addition to the normal stats they have, they were also given um, six stats like in a role-playing game. Um, where they can resolve other, uh, like, role-playing encounter type stuff. 
So the stats they have are called Cool, Edge, Meat, Mind, Style, and Synth. And I'm not going to go into what exactly they are, because you can sort of read the sprawl if you want that, but um, basically it's just like um, you guys would get a bonus, like some characters would be better at hacking and some characters would be better at fighting. Yeah. And um, it just gives you a way to interact with the world that's not described because there's no like skill for charisma or hacking in the main. Yeah, and and I think the one of the main barriers that we found to role playing in in the first base box campaign season one was that um, because the rounds are so tight, you know, like everything mm. is based around time, and you've got maybe you have X number of rounds to complete the mission, which is uh, to say that after everybody gets one turn the round is over. Um, so you may have seven rounds before the mission is over. Or with every round, the Imperial player is getting more threat and they're going to start throwing more troopers at you. Even though you could hypothetically sort of pause the game to roleplay, there's a tension and a speed to the combat mechanics that aren't... It's just not conducive to stop and have a conversation with people. So we just ended up not doing that. And then after the mission was over, we were like, okay, let's go back, let's do our upgrades, go to the next mission. You know, like, we just didn't have a lot of um, yeah. space. Yeah. And this, uh, with the addition of your sprawl mechanics, really added that space. You you deliberately put space in there for us to do that as part of the story and not extra to the story. Totally. Which was really cool. Like, in the, in the basic Imperial Assault game, it's kind of, um, the, you kind of are sent on missions, but sometimes there's not a lot of reason why you're sent on those missions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not, sometimes the story, the connective story tissue isn't very strong. Um, so I kind of allowed you guys to make your own connections between those missions. Um, we can talk about specifically how we did that. Um, I just want to cover the other thing we added. Sure. Um, so the other mechanic we added from the sprawl is called directives. And directives are kind of like uh, character motivations that help bring the plot forward or like a code of ethics or something. Um, so each player picked two for their character. And like some examples of these directives are um, when your former membership to Black Sun hinders the mission, mark experience points. When your loyalty to your friend Vendry hinders the mission, mark experience points. So it's like, whenever you do this thing that advances your character or whatever, you, yeah. get, you get experience points. And it also gives the GM some directive on how the player wants the story to go. So I really like that it, it's like a collaborative type of thing. So yeah, I guess we can talk about how we, how we change the missions and what that connective tissue looked like. Oh, sure. I also want, um, I think you should mention the one last thing that we didn't quite get into that much this session, but um, is the threat clocks. I think you should. Oh, yeah, the threat clocks. The threat clocks are really cool. So um, each each, uh, organization or each villain or whatever has what's called a threat clock. So you start off at, like, the morning, and then by the time it gets to midnight, that threat is completed. Um, so as a GM, you come up with certain, um, agendas, agendas that, that your organizations like the, the empire or like a bounty hunter are trying to uh, achieve. And, um, the players, if the players fail enough checks or if they are, they do certain things, they can advance these clocks. So the villains are doing stuff as the players are doing stuff. Yeah. And I think, um, I wanted to say that that mechanics seem to fit so well with the game that was already there. A, because threat yeah. is, is already a terminology that's used yeah. in the Imperial Assault game, and it just it feels very appropriate for organizations like the Empire, like um, bounty hunters or other characters like that, to be having their own agendas that are being advanced at the same time that yours are. Like, the Empire is still working on whatever project it is you're trying to stop. Exactly. And so it's sort of happening parallel and going on and you're telling us, oh, they got some of this information, the Empire's clock or an unknown clock advanced. And that's the cool thing is that the players can see the clocks so they can see how close the Empire is to yeah. um, achieving 
an objective, even if they don't know what that objective is. Yeah, and it's it's just a really cool system. And, like, after the game was over, um, one of the NPCs on our team might have their own clock. Yeah. You know, like, we can't, we've come up with these stories that, like, all of these people and organizations are advancing their own agendas around us. Yeah. And uh, even some of our allies might have their own agendas behind the scenes that... Um, we can also True. and I think I think it like it adds another aspect to to play that it makes it more f- it feels more fair like if the GM comes up with what these consequences are ahead of time rather than coming up with bad things on the fly yeah I don't know I really like that um, that so you, mechanic so you wanted to talk about what we did how we how we applied these things yeah, so, okay, so the, the basic core story of Twin Shadows is that uh, Han Solo, Chewbacca, C-3PO, and R2-D2 um, go to Tatooine to investigate some Imperial presence, and they go missing, and you have to go rescue them. And what we found is in the base game, whenever we had these characters from the movies showing up, it felt like it kind of broke the fourth wall. Yeah. So we chose to, instead of using those characters, we kind of used ones that we introduced in our first game. Yeah. Or we made up new ones. Um, so we replaced Han and Chewie with Jin Odan mm-hmm. and Garkon, who are characters that we had in our first game. Yep. Like Gar- a, a smuggler and a Wookiee. Yeah. They're just basically the same roles. It's sort of intentional. Yeah. Um, and Jin, as we talked about in episode three, Jin was our pilot. Yeah. In season one, and Garkon was one of our was the player controlled NPC, Wookiee. So they're back in season two. Yeah, and yeah, so it it felt really natural to do that, and uh, I think it was better than having Han Solo stealing the limelight. Yeah. Um, it was more like, I think just as a general rule, as a GM, you always want to focus on your characters, not on the NPCs. Yeah. If the NPCs are cooler than your characters, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> And I think, you know, as a player, we were talking about this a bit um, yeah. during the game when we were playing because you uh, also replaced uh, R2-D2 with an original droid character. Yeah. Oh, that's and, a cool and thing. D- Dana and I had been talking about this droid character um, in the lead up to this because um, my previous PC, Saska, works a lot with droids, so we came up with this droid character that she had sort of worked on and... Uh, her name is R5K8, and we call her Kate. And, she's uh, adorable. She's adorable. And um, we were talking about when Kate was there on one of the missions using R2-D2 stats is when you're playing with the characters from the movie, Han, Chewie, R2, you feel a sense of protectionism towards them that kind of breaks the game. Like, you don't want anything to happen to R2, like you, it's true, you, you yeah. feel responsible for nothing bad happening to those characters. Like, I don't know, Han Solo gets shot on one of your missions? That doesn't feel good. I feel like bad. I, I don't like I haven't been a player in this yeah. game, but I feel like more than that, it just sort of breaks my um suspension of disbelief. Like it's like, you know, like it feels like Han Solo doesn't belong in that same story. Yeah. He's got I his don't own know. story. Yeah, it just feels weird. And again, you know, maybe your group thinks that's really cool, but we really like the original characters. Everybody really responds well to the original characters in our campaign. With the exception of some villains. Like, we kept... Yeah, both, we, yeah which fair, fair. I think with the villains, it's fine. Yeah. Like, especially, there's a lot of silent villains in Star Wars. Yeah. Like, Boba Fett doesn't really have to talk. Darth Vader doesn't really have to talk. Yeah. They're just threatening. And true, yeah, you did keep Boba Fett. Boba Fett shows up in the first episode. Which is cool. That was Yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah, no. So the first mission, I think, like, um, I didn't really change the first mission at all. It's pretty solid. Like, you start in a cantina, you have to escape the cantina. Boba Fett shows up and tries to, to get you, and yeah, it's fun. Well, plus, um, you had mentioned one of the things you did change is because Boba Fett is coming for Han and Chewie in the original game... Uh, you know, Han and Chewie have a bounty, Boba Fett's after it. In our campaign, it's Jin and Garkon who have a bounty, and that's cool because the bounty is because of all of our actions in Season 1. Yeah, in Season 1 you did so many notorious things that yeah. of course you have a bounty on your head. Yeah. The, so it just makes sense. Yeah, we really screwed yeah. things up for the Empire at the end of Season 1, 
And for all of those characters, Saska, Biv, Jin, Garkon, Diala, to have these bounties on them because they're now notorious insurgents, basically. They've, yeah, they are. They've made some serious... We, we captured a general at the end of season one. And let me tell you, I didn't think that was going to come back to bite us in the ass. And I don't know why I didn't think that, but I didn't. And yeah, it's already, it's already coming back to haunt us. So... Yeah, it just it, it made it so much more personal that the bounties felt like they were on us instead of Definitely. this guy we have to show up and protect. And we also used some of the... So a lot of the, the player characters from um, our first game showed up as NPCs in this game. Yeah. So it's kind of like a continuity of that story. Like, you can... Just because you're done with those characters doesn't mean that they're gone, like... We use them as a like we had Saska as a way to motivate the other characters. Yeah, so I switched. Uh, I wanted to try playing a different character in this expansion just for um, diversity's sake. Change it up. Uh, so I played. I'm playing Jin as a PC in this campaign, where I played Saska as a PC in season one. So Saska shows up as an NPC. I might play her again in the third expansion. Um, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. But it was cool because all those characters are still around. Yeah, definitely. Um, so when you're done the first mission in, uh, when you're done the first mission in the box, it recommends that you move on to um, one of two missions: uh, past life enemies or shady dealings. Um, now, unfortunately, these are also side missions which are tied to characters. So, if you use the two, if you use Biv or Saska in your main game, you'll have already played through these missions. Um, so, we basically—do you want to talk about those missions at all? Or we actually talked about shady dealings in episode three because that was the big example of how we the junk dealer ones, yeah. the junk dealer, which became Saska's dad, the uh, shady sort of black market weapons dealer. So right, we, yeah. did, uh, we did talk about that one a little bit. I and, think, yeah. uh, I, I really think that we do, I kind of want to, I think you should talk about what you did with um, past life. Past life dealings? Yeah. yeah. With the, for um, Kane Somos. past life enemies, Kane Somos, because past that was a really cool uh, addition true. to the canon. That was really cool. Okay, so in the first, in the first game we had... Um, so Biv, Biv Bodrick is one of the characters, and in, in the canon, he has, like, this nemesis who's called Kane Somos, um, who's a stormtrooper captain. And we kind of introduced the idea that, um, how, like, there was a lot of build-up to it. I don't know how I would... Okay, so, uh, I want to tell the story, because... You should tell I'll, the story. I'll tell the story. So, uh, Biv Bodrick, you can see by his, um, character card, he's stolen, like, a stormtrooper armor arm. He's got like the, yeah. the white armor and the shoulder plate of like a stormtrooper captain. He's stolen it from Kane Somos because they've had this sort of antagonism, this relationship in the past. And our um, Biv's player, Justin, he came up with a whole backstory for Biv of how they knew each other and whatever. And it was really cool. And um, in one of the missions in season one, uh, it's to capture a rebel spy. Or not capture, but free a rebel spy who's been captured by the Empire. So we break into this sort of prison block to get this rebel spy, take them back, because they've got valuable intel. When we get there and break him out, it's Kane Somos. Yeah. And he's been in prison for a while. And he's tried to defect from the Empire, and he's trying to make it to the Rebellion with all these secrets. And Biv doesn't know how to handle that because he he doesn't want to save him because he's like his nemesis right like he yeah. hates this guy <laughs> but they've been ordered to come and save him and the rest of his team is like just do the work biv like yeah shut up like just like let's take this guy and go and like deal with it later and um <laughs> like biv and saska are with kane who can't move very fast because he's he's like super injured um, trying to get him out, and Kane gets shot, trying to escape by, by like stormtroopers, and he dies. Yeah, we, we fail the mission. We don't get him home, and then Biv, as a character, has this you know this sort of aborted completion of his arc where he never gets his showdown 
with Kane Somos, Kane Somos because this he's like this broken man who's been like wasted away in prison for months and just gets summarily executed on the way to defecting to the rebellion. And he finds it like really unsatisfying and he's really broken up about it because he doesn't know how to handle that. And that he was trying to defect, you know, he was trying to like leave the empire. So he has yeah. a lot of feelings about it. And, um, but he, you know, he, that's a couple missions. He lets it go. Uh, you know, we carry on. And then a couple missions later, we discovered that there's a faction of, defected stormtroopers. No, that, know. like, you don't know that until oh, you go in. Know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so this is past, then, then we played, um, right. past life enemies. Mm. So you guys are sent in to rescue a rebel cell who gets captured by stormtroopers. Right. And, um, when they get to the stormtrooper base, they notice that the stormtroopers are wearing different insignia than normal stormtroopers. And they eventually realize that these are not stormtroopers. They're mostly clone troopers. Yeah. And, um, it's revealed that, and like, and Kane Somos is still there and he's still alive. Yeah. And it's eventually revealed that Kane Somos is a title. He's just a, it's always a clone. They're all clone troopers. They're all clone troopers. Clone Wars. Yeah. Which was really cool. Yeah. It was super cool. (laughs) And it was really conflicting with like Biv's character because Biv is all about vengeance and, um, for them to tell him, like, you know, Kane Somos is not really a person, it's a title. Yeah, and which was the Kane Somos that really was your enemy. And yeah. All of these men have the same face. You don't know if that one was the one that was shot Who knows? Uh, during that mission or whether he's still alive. Yeah. It, it, so that was a really tough uh, character arc for Biv um, because he didn't really know how to handle that information, but the reveal that Kane Somos was a clone trooper. Pretty cool. <laughs> so this yeah. so the clone trooper thing is not in the box. That yeah. was that was something we came up with. And by we you mean you. That's yeah. Something you came up with. Cause and, yeah. Yeah. Well we were watching Rebels at the time and I think I was really inspired by like um when they come across Rex and yeah. those guys. Um so yeah, so that was very cool. So that's that's and and part of that I think, you know, came about because we had you seated in Kane Somos in that other mission. Yeah. And then when we go to play Biv's mission, there's also a Kane Somos. So how do you how do you then handle that you Kane make him Somos a clone. showing up? You make him a clone. Yeah. And so, there's yeah. And because there's precedent for that in the Star Wars universe, it feels like a payoff yeah. instead of like a you know, it doesn't feel like a cheap reveal. It feels like uh, a very in in universe sort of payoff, and it was it was very cool. Agreed. So good job. Thanks. Um, so that yeah, that's that's um, so those two missions, shady dealings and past life enemies. Um, we didn't do those in this campaign, and we substituted in a mission called Open to Interpretation, um, which which comes with the C three PO and R two D two figure pack and it's a very similar setup actually because like she both past life enemies and shady dealings you have a droid with you and you kind of have to escort the droid um so it's kind of like a droid escort mission where you have to get the droid to um the viewing room to like get some information and then you win and uh what we did was um like we said, we instead of having R2, we used a K8. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something which I think is kind of cool. So uh, because there's this old game called the Star Wars Miniatures game, and no one plays it anymore, you can get all kinds of Star Wars miniatures for really cheap on eBay. So I went on eBay and bought a K8 unit, or sorry. An R5. An R5 unit for like $3, and I repainted it, and then we had this like original character for our game. Yeah, when you pulled out the K8 miniature, who we had already talked about, you, like we were talking about what color she was. Yeah, and that was so that I knew how yeah. to paint her, yeah. And, then, and yeah. then you pull her out, and so we've also got a K8 miniature, and like that was really cool. Yeah, and I did that with a few other ones too. Like I got some bounty hunters in like we just use different stats yeah. for so you can really make any character you want for this game. You can just buy like cheap miniatures off eBay. Yeah. And it's um you 
enjoy painting the miniatures, so you had yeah. a lot of miniatures painted. They look really good. We posted some pictures on Twitter, and we'll post uh, some pictures as part of the podcast, but they look really good. Thanks. You did a you did a great job. Everybody's happy to play with the, their little <laughs> personal, customized little guys. Yeah, it makes it like That's one of the things that I like about this game versus, like, a standard board game or a standard role-playing game is, like, it comes with all these really nice miniatures, and if you paint them, it, like, feels like a really deluxe experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the the only other thing that we really added was, um, I, Twin Shadows doesn't really have an overarching plot, mm. or at least I don't think it feels like an overarching plot, um, so I added one. Um, so, like, when you first get to Tatooine, like, you notice that the Imperial presence is, like, super big. And they've kind of invaded Tatooine. And then the second mission in, you find out that they're looking for something in the desert. Yeah. And then at the end of this session, as, like, a cliffhanger, I have one of the NPCs from our other game come back and say, like, they're looking for this, like, ancient battlefield on Tatooine. And so then you have kind of a hook. Yeah. So that's going to be the hook of our campaign is that the Imperials are out in the middle of the desert looking for some ancient battleground between the Sith Empire and the Old Republic. Yeah, we've got to stop them from getting... Whatever it is they're trying to get from that battlefield. Yeah. Um, Which I think just feels, um, yeah, a lot more um, motivating than nothing. And it's cool because now, now that we've got this overarching story and these uh, sort of additional RP missions, we like, we had all kinds of ideas as soon as you said that. Sure, like, for yeah, example, there's a lot. We've got that captured general from season one. Well, where's an obvious place to start? Ask him. Ask him if he's heard anything about this. Yeah. Maybe he's not going to talk to you because he's kind of a jerk. And to be fair, you would be too. But, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask him. So. And I think that's the nice thing about role-playing games is they, like, naturally build on each other. Like, yeah. like the longer you play a game for, the more story hooks are open to you. Yeah. And it just suggests its own story. Yeah, and you've got, like, what I really find fun about role-playing games, and um, I tend to play similar archetypes in most of the role-playing games I play, and one of the characteristics that all those archetypes share is usually recklessness and impulsivity, because those kind of decisions drive stories. I also like to play secretive characters, because it's... I don't know. Because it's... <laughs> <laughs> um, because I have a hard time sharing my feelings? No. Because it's... Yeah, no, that's probably why. But it, Well, it also drives the plot. It drives the plot. It's it's easier to... If you're the characters are keeping things from each other, yeah. then the GM can sort of play on that to... To move the story forward. Totally. And already, it was sort of unintentional. Already in the first session, some of the characters are keeping things from each other. Yeah. And Which, uh, is, which just creates fun, yeah, conflict. Yeah, it creates conflict and it creates tension. And then it gives sort of easy places for the GM to get their hooks in. Where yeah. Like, okay, you didn't know about this. Now this person is going off and they're going to do this thing that can affect the mission in addition to the standard villains. Like, it's it's fun to have more than one conflict. Sure, you've got the bounty hunters in the Empire. Yeah. But having some sort of conflict within your own house is uh, really adds it. For sure. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that I think that this game makes a really good role-playing game because I like having the combat segments be kind of like separate from the role-playing segments. Yeah. So, like, when we're role-playing, we kind of acknowledge that we're not going to start a fight. And then, like, when you're... And then it, like... It's almost like in a, a JRPG where it, <laughs> yeah. it, like, goes into the battle sequence and then it's like, okay, you're in a mission now. Now, yeah. it's, now it's fight time. Yeah. And then it's, like, after the fight time, then there's, like, aftercare, you know, where it's, like... <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I see what you did there. Um, well, that's what it is. Yeah, that's yeah, what it is. Yeah. You know, like you, you're like, okay, like, are you all right? Here's what. Yeah. You know, like let's let's come down from that. Yeah. That high tension excitement and like let's see like, how do you feel? You know, what are what? How do you feeling like like a character? And yeah. What do you want to do now? And yeah, yeah. How do you process what happened and? Yeah. Yeah. So that's like that's really how I feel this game works. It's like you have that. 
you have the foreplay, and then you have the action. Yeah. And then you have your aftercare. Right. And that's sort of like a complete night. Yeah, your start, middle, and end. Yeah, exactly. And um, I just love this game so much because it's not a role-playing game, but it's so easy to make it a role-playing game. Yeah. And it's better than the Star Wars role-playing game. We definitely <laughs> prefer playing it to Age of Rebellion or the other. Uh, I feel like we got a really cool experience out of it that yeah. was like you couldn't get if you just like got a role-playing game off the shelf because like the combat system is more fun than than I find most combat systems and role-playing games are. Agreed. Um, it's so more, it's so streamlined and um, elegant, and the miniatures combat itself on the maps is super fun. And it's yeah. not, it's it's less freeform. Like a lot of times, you play a, a, an RPG with just standard combat, and a lot of work is put on the GM to sort of balance it themselves and like how many mm. how many people am I, are supposed to show up here and. How do I not make it too easy or too hard? But the game is already balanced for you, expecting, like, okay, well, dole out these more guys now, and you should have this many figures. Right. Like, as, as a GM, one of the most frustrating things when you're, when you're uh, preparing a game is figuring out the math, basically. Yeah. And that's kind of done for you. Yeah. And so if you have that taken care of, you know, you can put your focus on looking through the missions and, okay, how can I change the story? Because the mechanics of this mission are fine. Yeah. And it's just going to play out however it plays out based on these mechanics. But what's the overarching story and flavor I can add to this? What are the characters that I can make in the people that show up during this fight? Totally. And that was cool. Oh, you should talk about one more thing. You should talk about how you had us handle contacts. Handle contacts. Okay, before I get to that, I wanted to say one more thing about what we were just talking about. Right. Um, which is that I've always wanted to play a role-playing game that was a collection of mini-games. Oh. Right? Like, I've, I think I've had this idea before where it's like, in, like having a role-playing game where instead of it just having one rule set, it has multiple games built in. Like, you know, there's the... the the talking game where you're talking to NPCs and you're rolling your diplomacy skills. Mm. And then, like, the combat game has a totally different rule set because right. it's a different game. And then after that, you might have a ship combat game. And it's like, the it's it doesn't have to use the same universal rule set because these are, like, different... Yeah. Like, there are video games like that, right? Where, like, like World of Warcraft, you know? Like, World of Warcraft has the quest game. Which is totally unrelated to the raid game. Yeah. And and I feel like that's sort of what um, we've achieved here. And like we could add on X Wing. Yeah, yeah. As a third mini game, I think in this in this uh, which we might try. I don't know if it's ever appropriate. I want to try it. Yeah. Um. Um. Like using board games as your mechanics, and then having the role playing exist between those games as the fabric of the story. I think that's really cool because board games are balanced to be fun and easy to learn. Yeah. Um, where a lot of role playing games are balanced to be simulations, um, and they don't always work for every situation. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we'll continue to keep you updated as we play because we're yeah. going to be adjusting these rules and. And uh, stuff like that. So you want to talk about contacts? Yeah. Um, this was because the the sprawl slash apocalypse slash dungeon world has a mechanic for, for contacts. Yeah, yeah, which is sort of a departure from a traditional D and D or Pathfinder kind of world building. Yeah. So basically, once per mission, you have this like uh, there's a rule for it, and it's it's you can declare a contact. So you can like. Um, there were a couple situations during the game where you like, well, who would I ask about this? And I'm like, and I pull out my sheet and I'm like, I don't know, make up a contact. So the players got to make up, um, on the fly, they got to make up a character who they knew, who owed them something or whatever. And then after that, they can add them to their list of contacts to go back to later. Yeah. And, and what's cool about that, um, I think both from our perspective and your perspective is that traditionally the GM pretty much comes up with all the NPCs. Yeah, exactly. And and that's both uh, a lot of work for them because they've got to come up with all the NPCs, but also 
you just sort of leave that in their hands. You you don't you show up to the world with your character, but you don't really bring anything unless you know you've got a backstory or something. So in this case, when um, I was on, you know, we were in the bar and it was like, okay, we've got to find a safe place to stash our ship away from the sort of imperial controlled ports. Who you would Jin, you would know somebody on Tatooine. Okay, who do I know? Well, you tell me. Who who do you know? Yeah. And then I had to slash got to make up a character on the fly, come up with a reason why they would help me. Mm-hmm. Come up with a description for them. Uh, we a had name, a list of yeah, uh, we had a list of names, pre-generated names that we were able to pull from. Yeah. And then it was kind of like okay, go. And then you role played him in this case. Yeah. And I had a conversation with him. Um, and we used our cool edge meet mind style synth stats to sort of aid in that that scene. Yep. And um, yeah, so it's like I got some creative control in making up some NPCs, and also you didn't have to do the work of having to come up with all the NPCs yourself. Yeah, and there was a couple like the a lot of the apocalypse world um, systems encourage you to do that, and. We did that a few times in in the game where instead of instead of asking instead of telling you what happens, mm-hmm. I would ask you what what do you think the place looks like? What's the name? What is the name of the bar? What yeah. is you know who do you think? Um, what do you think they look like? Yeah, you know, um, and I think that's a much more collaborative and fun way to play a game, and it puts a lot less pressure on me as a GM. Yeah, so. So, yeah. I enjoy that aspect. I think I'm just going to incorporate that into every role-playing game I play from now on. Yeah, I like that too. It's a cool way to play a game together. Yeah. I'm like, after after we're finished with Imperial Assault, like, I almost want to, like, see what other games I can make into role-playing <laughs> games. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, challenge, you know? Yeah. So. so that was our first session of Imperial Assault. Um, eventually I think we should, um, we're going to have a section on the website for our campaign stuff. Yes. Because we, we have a lot of campaign stuff. Um, I'll put up any of the custom rules that we used, um, as well as links to things like the sprawl. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to do little articles about, you know, like taking the stuff we say in this podcast and making them into like a little tip section for... You know, here's all the custom rules we used. You know, here's the miniatures that we used. Because um, uh, there's a lot of little ways to make your game cool. That, yeah, and that, we have, like, a pretty in-depth story for a lot of our campaign. And one day I'd like to post some of that stuff. We write a lot of story content. Yeah, you might as well put it up. And um, if, if you guys interested. are interested in, in our essentially Imperial Assault fan fiction, it exists. <laughs> And uh, when I say it like that, I feel kind of ashamed, but whatever. Yeah. It's fine. Well, we all got to have a hobby, right? I mean, you spend how many hours writing fanfic, and I spend the same amount of hours painting plastic figures, so I don't, yeah. know, I don't know which is. Uh, <laughs> it's a hobby, so. Yeah, so uh, eventually we'll, we can put some stuff up if you want to follow our campaign. For sure. All right, so I think we've been talking about this for quite a while. Yeah. Um... So do you want to wrap up here? Yeah. Um, So I hope you guys had a great Star Wars week. Um, I hope you got some fun stuff for Star Wars Day. Hope you watched some movies or some TV or played some games. Play some Imperial Assault. Yeah. Or some X-Wing. Yeah. Um, Um, And uh, do you want to say who who you are on Twitter? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm at Duskheart on Twitter. And uh, you can probably find me pleased or upset about bloodline this week and i'm dana underscore howell on twitter and you can probably find me tweeting about anime boys (laughs) yeah and uh uh sure so next week we're we're gonna do our first book club episode yep next week we're gonna talk about uh alan dean foster's the force awakens i'm almost done reading it now so cool making notes Cool. Um, so it'll be full of spoilers and uh, our commentary on the novelization. So stay tuned and enjoy that. 
Okay, so our intro music and outro music is uh, Breakfast at Breakfast with Tiffany by Broke for Free. Um, and uh, yeah. Okay, we'll see you next week. May the force be with you. Bye.